You're now listening to episode 50 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thomas Costelli here today with Paul Moore, co-founder of Wellness Capital, an income and growth-focused commercial real estate investment firm that invests in self-storage, manufactured housing, and multifamily apartments. After selling his staffing company to a publicly traded company for $2.9 million, Paul entered the world of real estate, where he completed 85 real estate investments and exits, appeared on an HGTV episode, rehabbed and managed dozens of rental properties, developed a waterfront subdivision, and started two successful online real estate marketing firms. In this episode, we discuss reasons to invest in self-storage and manufacturing housing, value-add strategies, why you need a tax strategist, and much more. Are you ready to take your real estate investing business to the next level? Whether you're a seasoned vet or just getting started, the Multifamily Investor Nation Summit coming up on June 27th to June 29th has something for everyone. With a stellar lineup of expert speakers with proven track records for success, learn from the best and apply everything directly to your multifamily business. Speakers include Dan Hanford, Joe Fairless, Matt Faircloth, Ben Leibovich, Michael Blanc, James Ang, Brian Burke, our very own tax strategist, Thomas Costelli, and many more. Don't miss this incredible event designed specifically for today's brightest and boldest multifamily investors. Visit www.com apartmentevent.com and use promo code THOMAS to receive $100 off the full access pass. Again, that's www.apartmentevent.com and use the promo code THOMAS for $100 off the full access pass. We'll see you there, but for now, let's jump right into today's episode. Paul, thanks for coming on the show today. Can you give our listeners a little bit of a background on how you got started in real estate and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. So I got an engineering degree, which was probably a mistake for me. And then I went on and got an MBA at the Ohio State University, went to Ford Motor Company. I was never a good corporate guy. And, you know, even though I loved Ford and I liked my job, I just found myself always trying to tinker and do something on the side. So we started a staffing company in Detroit. We sold that to a publicly traded firm five years later. And I found myself not knowing what to do. And so a friend of mine and I started buying houses on the courthouse steps, fixing them up for resale. It seemed a lot easier than it was, I guess, it's just because it was so much fun at first. It was such an adventure. And then it became a grind after dozens and dozens of homes. But we did that. Then we did subdivision. I did, I did a subdivision. I built some houses. I uh, built a ground-up multifamily property and uh, co-owned and co-operated that for a number of years and uh, then helped my friend with a Hyatt hotel that went really south. And so I found myself, Thomas, not wanting to be on the bad end of a deal that went south if I got to the day when I wanted to retire or couldn't work anymore. I'm in my 50s and so decided to really stop swinging for the fences stop trying to do these wild ground up developments and start doing more safer plays like looking to hit singles and doubles rather than home runs. And so that's how I got into large scale multifamily. I ended up writing a book about multifamily. And then as I'm sure we'll talk about, I expanded out of multifamily more recently. 
Yeah. So, you know, at this point, you know, I, from what I understand, you did expand out. Now you're in the commercial real estate space. Tell us a little bit about why, why leave the multifamily uh, game behind? Everybody's talking about these days for commercial. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we were involved in commercial level multifamily, which would be you know 100 units and up typically. But the space is significantly overheated, Thomas. You know, there's IRA money coming in at a record pace. There's 1031 exchange money coming in where people want to save on taxes, and that's great. There's international money coming in. There's institutional investors competing with smaller guys. There's exuberance from the Tax Reform Act of 2017. There's new rules. Now, I'm trying to help coin a phrase here. Hopefully, you can help me. Uh, it's new gurus. These are people who were not even investing in real estate and they'll crash. And now they're telling us it's different this time. Everybody should overpay for real estate. It's okay because it's not going to crash. Well, you know what? It's different this time, doesn't fly. And so I'll tell you, we decided we were unwilling to overpay for multifamily, which means we weren't buying multifamily because lots and lots of people are overpaying right now. And so that's why we decided to expand from multifamily only to add self-storage and mobile home parks. And now our funds are investing in all three, though, like I said, we're not finding any deals in multifamily these days. You know, no, 100% agree. I mean, uh, much of our clients in the multifamily space, I've invested in the multifamily space myself. My mentor is in the multifamily space. And at the end of the day, what I keep hearing is it's getting more and more difficult to find at, uh, find you know good deals in that area. People keep overpaying. So you know, definitely a great time to get out of that and into other things. Um, from what I understand, you have funds, but why not go with the traditional single assets in the case? Oh, yeah. So what happened is about a year and a half ago, when we decide to expand our focus, we found out on paper or from a book how to do self-storage and how to do mobile home parks. And it was really exciting. And I was like really, you know, tempted to jump in. But then I started thinking, wait, do I really want to plow a bunch of investor money into something that we've never personally done before? Especially as it's this late in the cycle, especially because we didn't have a team that survived or thrived through the last recession. Those are all things I wanted to invest in, and that wasn't us. So we decided we would be best suited to find best-in-class operators and partner with them. And the way we decided to do that after a couple of investments in 2018, we decided the best way to move forward would be to put together a fund to allow our investors to get diversification across these varied asset classes, these geographies, these operators, and these specific assets. So that's what we decided to do. So we're raising money and we are investing in these different deals and funds that we have come across. Got it. So you you, you have the Wellings Income Fund and the Wellings Growth Fund. Right. Um, what are the differences in the assets that, uh, that each of these funds invest in? The Wellings Growth Fund is all about growing capital. And so we're not investing so much in mobile home parks. We're investing in self-storage. And these would be value-add deals and ground-up development. And then in theory, we're investing in multifamily, uh, ground up and steep value add, but we're not finding any of those types these days. In the income fund, we're looking for presently or currently cash flowing assets in the areas of self-storage, mobile home parks, and theoretically multifamily. Guy, do you find it hard to find like the, the more income properties when it comes to uh, this type of space? Because a lot of our clients sometimes are asking about 
you know, I just want cash flow. You know, I'm done with the whole entire growth model. You know, they have their their asset base. Is it difficult to come across those properties actually cash flow? Yeah, it is. And people got used to the last nine or 10 years since the recession, you know, that double your money in five years thing where, you know, you were getting 20% total annual return between appreciation, principal pay down and income. And they're having a really hard time finding that these days in multifamily. Now in self-storage and mobile home parks, it's a little easier to find that because of the fragmented ownership base in those asset classes, which is one of the most powerful reasons people should be interested in those two assets. Yeah, I guess compared to the multifamily side where things became more condensed and more consolidated. Yeah, that's right. 93% of multifamily properties, 50 units and up, are owned by corporations or at least companies that have multiple assets. But 66% of self-storage facilities are owned by mom and pop, single operators. And they believe, though they're not sure, that way up in the 90 percentile range or more of mobile home parks are owned by mom and pop operators. Got it. Got it. So it's interesting to know. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there going to be looking to capitalize on those <laughs> those types of differences. But when it comes to uh, the returns investors are looking for, specifically in the self-storage space, um, how do the returns com- compare to the multifamily space? Well, uh, we're investing in a couple with a couple of operators right now. One has a wonderful track record of doing a few ground up developments, but mostly steep value adds where they're repositioning a mom and pop, upgrading the operations, upgrading the marketing, increasing the facility size, and then selling to a REIT, sometimes as part of a portfolio sale. So what they're doing is they're driving increased income. They're potentially helping compress the cap rate. And if you want to, we can talk about why those are both really important. And they're able to sell to an institutional buyer like a REIT. And so by doing that, they've generated about a 70% annual return on investment at the asset level and about a 42% IRR over 21 deals. And so that's not normal. Part of that is cap rate compression that's just happened nationwide. But if you factor the cap rate compression out, they're still getting IRRs in the 20% or more range from using this strategy. We're really excited to invest with them. We've invested with them three or four times already. There's another group we're uh, investigating right now. We're taking our third trip to meet with them and see their assets next week. And they're based in Nevada and they do a similar strategy and they've been getting returns in the 65% annual range to investors. I know this sounds crazy, but these are real numbers and these are real track records of people that we're investing with. Now, we don't project those type of returns because we don't want to overpromise, number one. And number two, we do believe the cap rate compression is probably at an end. And so we're projecting returns of something like 15% uh, total return. That includes from distributions and from appreciation in our income fund. We're targeting 15% or more, and we're targeting 19% or more in our growth fund. Got it. Got it. So cap rate compression for everybody who's listening out there is important because as the cap rate decreases, the value of the property increases. So when you're in an environment where it's decreasing, the property is pretty much going up, even if you're not necessarily doing anything to it. Is that that what you Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. 
All right. When it comes to uh, some of the tax benefits of the self-storage stuff, would you like to discuss a little bit about how uh, some of the tax benefits of investing in self-storage? Yeah. Yeah. So there's some amazing tax benefits investing in all types of real estate. And I could spend an hour on this and I have before, but um, cost segregation studies to drive accelerated depreciation uh, schedules will be one. Section 179 and bonus depreciation under one Section 179, of course, with the Tax Reform Act. Those are all valid. There are, you know, owning a real estate like self-storage directly, getting a K-1 from it is important as opposed to just owning stock in a company that owns real estate. Uh, there's all kinds of things like that that are part of the equation for self-storage. Uh, mobile home parks, we can talk about that if you like as well on the tax mm-hmm. savings. I like mobile home parks, and, and you wouldn't expect this. And as a CPA, this might surprise you, but a lot of the mobile home parks we see have a about a 30% basis in land. I would have expected 80, yeah. but a 30% basis in land, 35% in land improvements. And that would be like, you know, shrubbery and parking lot asphalt and stripes and offices and utilities and water, electric, lighting, etc. And then a 35% basis in, get this, goodwill. And so 35 plus 35 or 70% of the basis of some mobile home parks are apparently depreciable over a 15-year straight line method. Now, if you depreciate 70% of your asset value over 15 years, that comes out to 4.66% per year depreciation coverage of income, which means if you own this for cash and you make a 4.6% distribution, you're still going to have a tiny loss on your K-1. But it's better than that because there's usually leverage involved. And our funds are targeting about a 60% LTV on leverage, on debt. And so by doing that, you take the 4.66% you divide by one minus 0.6 or 0.4 in other words, mm-hmm. which means you're you're basically pushing that number 4.66% times a factor of 2.5x. Well, that is 11.66%. 11.66% depreciation per year straight line over 15 years means you could make 11% income or distributions, I should say, from your investment every year in a mobile home park, and you could still have a loss every year on your K-1. Pretty good deal. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, we're, we're always surprised to hear that, you know, mobile home parks are such high amount of the mobile home park isn't actually land. And it's it's this 15-year property. And also, you, you have 100% bonus appreciation these days, too. Right. Uh, 100% bonus appreciation allows you to depreciate uh, property with a class life less than 20 years. And um, all in the first year you own it. So, I mean, there definitely is a ton of benefits out there for mobile home parks. Yeah, Brandon and I talked about that exact thing, in fact, and he didn't think the goodwill would apply to the bonus depreciation, but the land improvements, as far as I know, they yeah. I would think that they would. Yeah, no, absolutely. The land improvements do. Uh, the one thing, though, on, yeah, I did hear the same thing with the goodwill. I think we came to the conclusion, ultimately, that you're right, that you can't, uh, you can't depreciate the goodwill because it's something with the intangible. But... Um, 
anyway, when it comes to the manufactured housing, and uh, how, how do those returns compare to, say, the multifamily space? Oh, okay. So when I say mobile home parks, I'm speaking of the manufactured housing communities. And it's just a fancy word that uh, we use for mobile home parks since they have a stigma. So that's the same thing. Absolutely. So the returns there are quite nice um, compared, I guess. Oh, the returns. Yeah. yeah exactly. I'm sorry. So yeah, that's the uh, tax abatement. The returns are not they don't have the steep value adds. They don't have the huge growth potential. They don't have the huge appreciation potential. Though they have some, they don't have as steep of a curve as some multifamily and many self-storage. Uh, mobile home parks typically expect a ongoing cash distribution rate of, say, 8 to 12% per year, mm-hmm. and then a small amount of appreciation as well. Now, there are some value adds that happen in manufactured housing communities, mobile home parks. And um, one surprising one would be buying sheds and actually leasing the sheds to the uh, residents. Another one would be buying carports and leasing those to the residents. And at a really reasonable rate, you can lease these out and you can um, increase the income. Another thing that's uh, great would be creating some parking area for residents. Now, we recently invested in a mobile home park, manufactured housing community, and I'm not going to use the real numbers, just to be clear. I'm using similar numbers just to make a, a nice even number example here. But let's say we paid $5 million for this mobile home park, and let's say it was 60% loan-to-value uh, debt. So that means there were $3 million in debt involved and $2 million in cash or equity in this deal. Now, the owner, the new owner, the operator went into this park and he looked around at day one and he said, man, there's a lot of junk around here. There's boats and work trailers and RVs. And some of these mobile homes have a third or fourth or fifth or sixth car sitting in front of them, and we need to get these moved. And so they basically, they paved an acre of the mobile home park. They put a beautiful fence and gate around it. And they said, okay, if you have a car, truck, RV, et cetera, you've got to, I mean, a work truck, you've got to park it in this area. And by the way, we're going to charge you for that. And then they are going out to the community as well, and they're going to make this available as boat and RV storage. Now, Thomas, they only spent $100,000 doing this, but when it's fully leased up, it's going to potentially generate $10,000 in income per month. Now, let's do the math here. And this is going to take a little bit of uh, concentration to do the math, but $10,000 a month is $120,000 a year. That's 120% annual ROI on that 100000 spent. And that sounds really good, but it's so much better than that. Because in commercial real estate, as most of your listeners probably know, it's not like residential where the value is based on the comps. The value is based on this. The value formula is value equals net operating income divided by the capitalization rate or the cap rate. Now, If you increase the net operating income by $120,000 a year and the cap rate stays the same at, let's say, 6%, you take the $120,000 by 0.06 and that's $2 million increased value. 
Now think about it. They only paid $5 million for the park. And this one change, it was a big change, but this one change gave them a 40% increased value on this park. But it's better than that. Remember I said there was only $2 million in equity going in? All this new $2 million in value flowed to the equity holders, not the debt. And therefore, they just doubled the value of their equity. They had a 100% appreciation in theory. And again, it's not sold yet. The deal's not over. But when it's over, in theory, they just doubled their equity through this one powerful value-add change. That's insane. You look at it, you take $100,000, you get a $2 million return on that. That's 20, you just had 20 times. You, you took your money and made 20 yeah, times over. It's amazing. And I tell you what, the ticket, the ticket in to this kind of return is one thing, and that is owning a well-placed value-add commercial real estate property. Yeah, I mean, commercial real estate is definitely powerful. And it's, it's crazy, just it's crazy the amount of stuff that you have to do to get creative from time to time. For instance, like, you know, that that strategy of, of doing the the park, maybe it doesn't seem like it's something everybody does. Otherwise, you know, it would have been done already to that mobile home park, right? Yeah, you would think. Yeah. So when it comes to mitigating risk, when you're investing in these assets, whether it be the manufacturing housing space or the self-storage space, uh, what are some measures that you you take to mitigate? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, just kind of even circling back to the last question and combining it with this one, one of the ways to mitigate risk is buying from sellers who didn't do all those things. They didn't put the carport up. They didn't lease the sheds out. They didn't maximize rent up to market values. And they didn't add a one-acre paved parking area. If you find mom-and-pop owners who have these this meat left on the bone, let's say, you're going to be in a position where you've got a chance to bring in upside early in the process. And if you can bring in this upside, you're mitigating risk against a potential downturn. And that downturn could look like an increase in interest rates or an increase in cap rate, which means a lower value pound for pound on the, uh, the value of the property. And so, that is the best way to mitigate, and that is buying them right from a mom and pop seller. Got it. Got it. Just a few more questions before I think we wrap up for today. We pretty much ask this question of everybody who comes on the show. What would be the best tax advice you personally ever received? The best tax advice I received. So we were building a Hyatt Hotel in Minot, North Dakota a number of years ago. My friend was actually building it. I was assisting him. I found the land. I connected him with Hyatt. I did HR and marketing for him. And he one day he asked me, he said, you know, are you sure, are we sure we're maximizing our tax savings on this property? I mean, what if we shouldn't own the land? Maybe we should lease the land back from another company or whatever that we own. And I said, you know, let's just Google that. So I Googled the word tax strategist. And I found an article written why you need a tax strategist. And I've looked it up more recently. It's not online anymore for some reason, but it was written by a guy named Ed. Now, Ed was in California. He was paying $120,000 a year in taxes, and he thought that was normal. He was a commercial real estate investor. He'd been paying this for about 10 years. Tax rates are real high in California, in case you haven't heard. Oh, yeah. Now, <laughs> but um, anyway, Ed found a couple different things that uh, in an article he read about cost segregation, Section 179, etc. And he went to his CPA and he said, hey, um, have you heard about this? And have you heard about that? 
And the CPA said, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, no, yeah, those, those are great ideas, really good <laughs> ideas. And he said, well, why aren't we doing this? He said, why aren't you doing it? And he said, well, wait, I, aren't you supposed to be my CPA? Don't you advise me and things like that? And the guy said, look, I, you pay me to fill out your tax returns, not be your tax strategist. Well, Ed fired that guy and he hired somebody who cared more about uh, you know, about Ed than just getting his job done. And Ed wrote this article, Why You Need a Tax Strategist. Well, I discovered uh, Ed. I actually looked him up and he, I ended up hiring his company to be my mentor in the multifamily arena. He was actually a multifamily syndicator. But I think that was one of the best pieces of the tax advice I ever got. And that is you, everybody who's listening needs to find a CPA who's actually a tax strategist. Someone like Brandon Hall, someone like you, Thomas, who actually cares enough to proactively help their clients negotiate through all these different tax-saving opportunities and can set up and structure your business to be sure you're saving on taxes. You know, there's a Supreme Court justice, and a lot of people have heard this quote from his name's Learned Hand, and he said, no one has an obligation to pay one penny more in income taxes then need it. Everybody has the right and perhaps even the obligation to structure their affairs in a way to assure they pay the minimal amount to the treasury. And that's exactly what you guys do a great job at. And I'm really glad to be on this show to be part of what you're doing here. Absolutely. I got to agree 100% with that quote. No one should pay any more than they absolutely should. And you know, I agree with the entire concept, which is why I actually became a tax strategist, because at the end of the day, like you said, most like 90% of CPAs out there are going to just file your tax return. They're going to say, hey, uh, you want to save some money in taxes, uh, invest a little bit more in your 401k or, or you know, have another child or something like that. These are some of the things I've heard in the past. And uh, you, know, you really just need, like you said, you need to have someone on your side who's going to help you as you're going along through your real estate journey and be able to point out the various strategies you can use to minimize your taxes. Because at the end of the day, you know, we've had several clients who came through our doors who literally walk away paying no money in taxes. And it's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's insane. But is there any other pieces of advice, any other words of wisdom you would have for our listeners? Yeah. You know, I think that one thing that I did wrong early on, Thomas, when I was, I actually considered myself uh, semi-retired when I sold my company back in when I was 34 years old. And I didn't know the first thing about retirement or the first thing about investing. And in fact, I made a ton of mistakes. One of the big mistakes I made was not understanding the difference between investing and speculating. You know, investing is when your principal is generally safe and you've got a chance to make a return. And speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return. And so I think the confusion came in uh, in part because, you know, I believed in finishing the sentence the way that most of us naturally would. And that sentence goes something like this. Low risk leads to low return. High risk leads to high return. You would think but it's not true. High risk leads to high potential return and also equally, maybe more so, to high potential loss. And so I didn't understand that concept and I flushed away a lot of money chasing you know, oil wells that were going to have a 20 or 30x return and a wireless internet company in North Dakota 
and all kinds of things I had no knowledge of or no business investing in. And so my advice would be stick to what you know, focus on one thing, get it really dialed in and invest. If you want to speculate, go ahead, but realize that you're taking a chance. And if you play double or nothing long enough, you probably end up with nothing. Then you'll have nothing left to double. And so highly recommend that you consider Paul Samuelson's advice. He was the first Nobel Prize winner of economics in the US. And he said, investing should be boring. He said, investing should be like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. If you want excitement, take $800 and go to Las Vegas. Yeah, 100%. I 100% agree with that. Uh, you have to have, uh, what I always tell people when they ask me questions, questions like that is I just say, look, you know, have your money, have your play money, a small portion of your money, right. obviously, is play money is you're going to go, if you're going to go, you know, put your money in the stock market to get this big pop on the stock that you think is going to is going to pop, go do it, but don't do that with your, with your nest egg, if you will. So right. great advice there. If our listeners want to learn more about you or get in contact with you, what would be the best way for them to do so? They could reach me at my website, which is wellingscapital.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S, wellingscapital.com. Awesome. So, Paul, thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. It was a pleasure having you on. Learned a lot about uh, this, the manufacturing and, and self-storage space and uh, what is possible if, you just, if you're willing to be uh, creative out there. Thanks All right. Thomas, thanks for having me on. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.